Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. How y'all doing? Y'all good? Good, good. Like, like I said at home, and I'm peacock proud and hyena happy to be here. Uh, it's so good to be here with Pastor Jason in his arms. Um, it's just a, just a blessing. Just a blessing to see those guys again, all three of them. Um, no, I, I'm excited to be a part of this series uh, on worship. Would you meet me in the book of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'll begin reading at verse 1. Verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'll begin reading at verse 1. Hear these words from Paul to the church at Corinth. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Uh, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I have all I possess, if I give all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your word. I pray now that you would speak, O Lord, um, as your children have gathered to listen uh, throughout all the campuses of this great church and those that are watching online. I just pray that you would speak like only you can. Tune our ear to your voice so that we might hear you ever so clearly. Turn our hearts toward you so that we might receive all that you have for us. 
God, it's to that end that I pray now that you would stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you would have us say, know, and do. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight. Oh, Lord, you are my strength. You are my redeemer. Get glory in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. I go back to John 15, where Jesus is praying this prayer. Now, he's about to go to the cross, um, and he's praying this prayer. We talk about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer that we understand, the Lord's Prayer, is more, that's more of the disciples' prayer. Uh, this, this, book, this prayer in the book of John is Jesus' prayer, and it's Jesus' prayer for us. He's, he's praying for us. Um, and I don't know about you, but when I pray for somebody, I pray for them based off of what I sense that they need. Um, so, so when my daughter uh, gets ready to go to school, Bethany, um, I, I'm praying uh, based off of I know where her biggest potential struggle will be. So I'm praying for her attitude. Um, now, she probably ain't never prayed for her attitude. Uh, so, but my prayer isn't based off of what she understands that she needs. My prayer is based off of what I know she gonna need help with around 11 o'clock today. You know what I mean? So I'm praying for what I know she's gonna struggle with. I believe Jesus is praying for us because he knows what we're gonna struggle with. And his prayer is all about unity. He says, Lord, I pray for my disciples. I pray for them, but not for them alone. I pray for them as collective, as one, that they may be together, that they may be one. Father, like you and I are one, I pray that they would come together and that they would know oneness as we know oneness. And why is Jesus praying that prayer for us? Because he knows that's going to be our biggest struggle. He knows that's going to be our biggest burden. He knows that the, if our unity is Jesus' greatest prayer, that means our disunity is Satan's greatest ploy. If, if, if Jesus' greatest prayer for us is that we would be one, Satan's greatest ploy for us is that we will be divided. As I look at the landscape, it concerns me of our culture because it seems like Satan's strategy has been unleashed. I don't, I don't know about y'all. I, I, you know, I'm 44. I grew up in 1977. It feels like in my generation, we're more divided now than we ever have been. I mean, and we're dividing over stuff that I didn't even think we could divide over. I mean, we, we've come up with new ways to be against one another. We, we've created new stuff, like, like masks and vaccines, and, and you got the mask, and you wearing the mask. I can't believe you wearing the mask. I mean, you got families literally tearing apart. Thanksgiving it won't even be the same anymore, because last year, we asked Aunt Mildred uh, to come over Grandma's house, and Aunt Mildred was like, well, y'all wearing masks? She's like, yeah, we're gonna wear a mask. Well, I don't believe in masks. I believe in Jesus. Well, well, okay, you can believe in Jesus and put your mask on. Uh-uh, I'm, I'm putting on faith. Well, grandmama got lupus. Are you, gonna, you trying to kill grandmama? It's like, it's like, can you not even consider? It's like, no, uh-uh, I'm not coming. So you got families not even coming together and uh, people getting mad at people because they don't get the vaccine and then people get mad at other people because they got it and, and I got to wear a mask and I don't want to wear a mask. It's like, what in the world? So you got that, you got political upheaval, you got racial tension, you got all this stuff going on. And the crazy thing is, that's not what the world looks like, that's the church. Christians have been divided and fighting over this thing. The vaccine, you know, I was like, I, I, 
Well, I got it. I just be honest with you. I got it, and I got the booster, and I got the shot. I went back to get my other shot. I took my friend. He showed up with a lime. I said, it's not that kind of shot. What are you doing? What are you going? I said, that was the last time I take Don Smith to CVS. I tell you that right now. That's the last time. It's like, where are you going with a, with a lime? You know, but, but I, I, I got it because people were saying, I don't want to get the vaccine because I don't know what's in it. And I was like, well... I eat chicken McNuggets. Um, and God knows I don't know what's in those things. So I, I can't be a hypocrite. So I was like, go on, shoot me up. Give me the vaccine and let's go get some McNuggets. And then Don wanted to go somewhere else to get something else. You put that line to use. But I put it, I, I said, you're going home, son. Um, but people, we, we just started dividing. I mean, you started, people became elephant people and donkey people when we were supposed to be lamb people. We, we became greater ambassadors about our position on the vaccine than we were ambassadors about our conviction of Jesus Christ being our Lord and Savior. And we got so divided. And here's the thing, Satan loves it. He loves it, especially when we continue worshiping as usual and divided abnormally. Can I say that again? When we continue worship as usual, but divided. He loves it to see you coming to worship, to see you coming and worshiping the Lord. And, and look at you, she crying again. Every, every Sunday she cried. That's a raise a hallelujah, hallelujah. And you just crying, it's like, oh, that's great. She can, she can wipe the tears from her eye every Sunday as long as she going to roll her eye at her neighbor on every Monday. Oh, that was good. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> he says, he's fine with you having to wipe the tears from your eye every Sunday as long as you still going to roll your eye at your neighbor every Monday. How we love one another is a really big deal to God. And we want to talk about our worship, our offering, our worship, our whole life in honor of God, our whole life honoring God, our whole life. Worship is more than a song, is more than a service, is more than a morning devotional, is more than a time in prayer. Worship ultimately, inevitably, is our whole life as an offering unto God. So my life is worship. And if he can get your life to be fragmented, and if he can get your life to be broken with relationships, then he's robbed you of the power of your worship and your witness. I, I, can, see, I can see some of y'all are struggling, so you, you're not getting it. Let's go back to this. Jesus says, Jesus says, you know how you're gonna know my worshipers? You know how you're gonna know my Christians? You know how you're gonna know my disciples? Do you, do you know how you're gonna recognize them? Listen, let me tell you something. You're gonna see all kinds of stuff out there, but this is how you're gonna know that they're mine. You will know my disciples by their worship songs. No? By, by their theological positions. No? By their doctrine. No. By, by, by how long their dresses are. No? By how tight their shirts are. Jason would be the biggest Christian at Hope Church. Um, I'm just kidding. They're not that tight. The arms are just big. Um, how are you going to know we're Christians? How are you going to know? He says, you'll know by by my love. 
by my love. As a matter of fact, Jesus is talking one time, and he's talking about a worship service. He's talking about a worship service. And he says, if you are at the altar worshiping, but if you got alt with your brother, he says, leave the worship service. Get up from the altar and go get it right with your brother or with your sister. Why? Because your worship, your songs, your offering at the altar, if it pales in comparison to your offering and your sacrifice to your brother with forgiveness and with grace, then you've missed what worship is all about. See, one of the worst things we can do is make worship exclusively vertical. Jesus says two, two biggies. The Pharisees came up with this whole list, and they was like, yo, can you dumb this down a little bit? Can we just simple out? What's the law? Can we just get the short word? What's the cliff notes? He was like, oh, I'll tell you. Top two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. And the second one is likened to the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. If you get it early, I won't have to preach as long. You love the Lord your God. It's a cross-shaped gospel. And your life offers up a cross-shaped worship. I'll say that again. Your life offers up a cross-shaped worship. Your worship is both vertical and horizontal. This is what the church at Corinth was not getting. This is what Paul was, was giving them the business on. This is what the big struggle was at Corinth because they weren't getting along. They were having issues with loving one another. As a matter of fact, it got so bad, Paul says, your gatherings, I've been hearing about your worship services. Your gatherings, as a matter of fact, I, your worship services, you're doing more damage than you are good. I have nothing good to say. You're, in other words, you'd do, you'd do everybody a better service if you didn't even meet because the way you worship. They, were, they made the Lord's table a spectacle because they were ignoring the needs of their brothers and sisters. That's what brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul is frustrated with the church at Corinth and they were an interesting people. There was an interesting dynamic. Listen to how he starts it off. He says, here's the deal. Y'all are really spiritual people. Y'all are, y'all are super spiritual. I mean, you got faith that can move a mountain. You got lives that sacrifice and buy, you can sacrifice and, 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 and give up your body for, 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 for the sacrifice unto God. You, you, they were super spiritual, but their love was super anemic. And he says, you can be very spiritual and loveless and still be godless. Can I say that again? You can be super spiritual. Oh, I have my devotion every morning. I've got a blessed chair, and I call it my blessed chair because it's blessed because I'm there, and Jesus, you're there, and that makes it a blessed chair. And I have my coffee with the cream, and I have my, my Bethmore bobblehead, and I have my, um, I've got my, my, my book study, and I just sit, and oh, I just have just this beautiful morning worship. He says, you can do that every morning, twice. But don't love your neighbor, and it's worth nothing. Do y'all hear that? So you can have a super faith, be super generous, super serving, super all that. But if you don't love, and listen, here's the thing. When we talk about loving, we're not talking about your mama who's easy to love. Most of us, our mama's easy to love. You know what I mean? Mother's Day, stuff selling out. Father's Day, half y'all ain't even thought about buying nothing yet. That's for another sermon or another time or whatever. But I tell you, get something for your father. It's, a, it's Father's Day. Let's give the, some love to the fathers. 
See, if I said give some love to the mothers, you would have clapped right there. You didn't even clap. Come on. Come on, campuses. When we talk about this chapter in love, you got to know he's talking about people that are hard to love. He's talking about people that are difficult to love. So even as we look at what love is, don't think about people that are easy to love. No, think about people that don't look like you, don't think like you, don't vote like you, don't live like you. Think about people that are hard to love. Think about people that you disagree with. Think about the people that easily irritate you. Think about the people that you got to pray before you see them, you got to pray while you see them, and you got to pray after you leave them. He says, that's what I'm talking about. That's what brings us to the love chapter. And I'm telling you, as true, wholehearted, fully devoted worshipers of God, our worship inevitably should be marked by God's love. And if our worship isn't marked by God's love for one another, then he says, our worship is nothing. Hello in here, somebody. If our worship is not marked by a love for one another, then he says it's like a clinging gong, like a clanging cymbal. It's nothing, you, you are wasting your time. Because I didn't die on a cross just so you can love me. I died on a cross so that we might be brought into one family where we love one another. And to love me well is to love my children well. And in order to love my children well, that means you got to love your siblings well. And he knows it's hard. That's why he paints the picture. He helps us to see love is not ambiguous. Number one, love is a really big deal to God. Number two, love is not ambiguous. Love is not ambiguous. It's not like, oh, well, well, love is love, and whatever your love is, is my love, and my love is your love, and I have your love, and we just come up with our own love. No, what? Shut up. What? <laughs> love is not love. God is love. You can't define a thing by a thing. It has to be defined from a source of a thing, and God is the source of all things, so God is love. He has to define it. Love is not ambiguous. Love is not like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Y'all know Dwayne the Rock Johnson? Y'all know the Rock? Y'all know how he's kind of culturally ambiguous? Like, it's kind of like, I don't know what he is. Is he Latino? No. Is he black? No. Is he Samoan? Yeah. No. Is he a little Asian? He might be a little Asian in there. I don't, I don't know what the Rock is. I don't know what he is. Just kind of, he's just kind of ambiguous. That's not what love is. Love is not like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. But the love is more so like Chris Rock. Uh, Chris Rock is black. Ain't nobody looking at Chris Rock saying, oh, I wonder what he is. No, he is blackity black, 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 African, American, Juneteenth, black. He is black, Jack. <laughs> Ain't nobody trying to figure out what Chris Rock is, right? Paul says, let me help you. Love, you don't need to try to figure out what it is. God tells us exactly what it is. You ain't got to sit and wonder, is that love? Is that not love? Well, I don't know. Well, that's hard to love. He says, let me, let me be real clear what love is. Can I walk us through what love is? Can we just look at these words? We just passed by. Chapter 13, they call it the love chapter. Most often read at weddings, most seldom lived out in marriages. The love chapter, chapter 13. 
most often heard in churches, most seldom seen in Christians. The love chapter. Let's talk about what love is. Paul says, I need y'all to be clear. And, and, and as we look at this, don't think about people that are easy to love. Don't think about people that's like, oh, I want to be, yes, I just want to be, because the first one is love is patient. I don't want you to think about people that you love being patient with. No, 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 you're thinking wrong. He says, no, no, I want you to think about the most impatient person in the world. And let's start there. Love is patient. And watch this. It's not patient in time. That word there isn't patient in time. Um, it, it's patient in people. So it's not, I'm in, I'm in traffic, I need to be patient. No, 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 no. It's I'm stuck with someone who is requiring a lot of patience today. And God says, well, well, that's good because that's what love is. Love is patient. Anybody you know people, just when you think about them, they're already late in your mind. Like to work with them is to be under, just, you just, you just got to take a deep breath. When you hear you got to do a project in, in Susie on it, you're like, really? Okay. All right. All right. You, you just got to start. Immediately when you think of them, you immediately have to start slowing down because you know that they're patients. This is the type of person that goes to McDonald's and takes 20 minutes to figure out what they want to order. The menu ain't changed in a hundred years, but they're like, oh, now tell me about the Big Mac again. Shut up and get out of line. What are you talking about? That's what we're talking about. What does it mean to be patient with people? Watch this. That just require a lot of patience. What does it mean for you to show up, not with an attitude, but to show up with love? To build in patience. To add an extra two, three hours, because you know that that's what it's going to require. God says, that's what love is. And friends, that's what worship is. So you thought it was just raising a hallelujah. No, worship is raising a love that's patient. That was good. Is anybody going to tweet that? Y'all tweet that on the, the campuses? Y'all tweet it. Uh, watch this. Love is patient. Next one. Love is kind. Why? Because there are people that it's just natural to be mean to. Do y'all know Christians are some of the meanest people in the country? Like Christians are just mean. We can just be mean. But the more Bible studies you do, they seem like the meaner you get. Don't you know how at every job you got the mean lady on, at work? You know what I mean? That, they talk about her doing orange. Hey, that's Miss Mildred. She mean now. I'm telling you, don't, if you have your stuff together, you go to Miss Mildred. Miss Mildred is a mean lady. And then they go to church, and Miss Mildred is on the prayer team. Hey, y'all, did y'all know the, the mean lady from the job is on the prayer team? She at church. Here, look, I'm going to take a video of her. Look, that go the mean lady. She over there praying for people. Ain't this crazy? They shocked to see you in church. What, what does it mean for you to intentionally be kind for people that it's easy to be mean to. The person that doesn't share your politics, the person that doesn't share your perspective, your opinion. The per and watch this, watch this, watch this. These are people that, that deserve to be mean to. So these aren't people that got a bad rap. No, 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 everybody else is mean to them, rightfully so. Don't nobody like them. Don't know God says, no, but you're going to know my disciples because of their love. Because they're going to show up and everybody, the person that everyone else is mean to, I'm going to show them love. I'm going to show them love. I'm, 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 I'm going to be kind to people who deserve meanness. 
Think of your favorite politician that you love to hate. See, look at you. Some of you can't use like, oh, I don't think Jesus is talking about that. I think we got, a, we got a whole different kind. No, no, no. What does it mean to, you don't have to agree with them, but you also don't have to be a jerk. Hello in here, somebody. I said, Christians, you don't have to agree with them, but you also don't have to be a jerk. Love is patient. Love is kind. Uh, it does not envy. It does not envy. The word there is interesting. It's not, it's not it does not envy as in, um, I want what you have. I'm envious of what you have and I want it. No, 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 no. The word there is actually, um, I'm angry that you have it to begin with. So I'm, I'm frustrated and I'm envious that you even got it. It's not even that I want it. It's that I'm mad that you have it. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Watch this one. It is not easily angered. How easy does it take you to get angry? Some of you, there are people, if you just think about them right now, you'll get angry. Some of you, you got to see them in two weeks and you already get mad. Your kids are like, Daddy, what's wrong with you? Nothing. Ain't nothing wrong with me. Leave me alone. It's like, oh, we must be going to Uncle Robert's house. <laughs> like you get angry early, easily. Anybody got folks like that in your life? Love doesn't get angry that easily. Love has a built-in space to allow people to be themselves and still receive love. Even if themselves is wrong and off-putting and irritating. We're, t- we're exclusively talking about irritating people. We ain't talking about no nice people. Because if it was nice people, we wouldn't have to write a whole chapter about how to love them well. Right? It, is, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. Watch this one. It keeps no record of wrongs. I love this one. This, this is an accounting term. It, it's the idea of like a spreadsheet and saying, you know, all right, okay, you, you, three years ago you did this, two years ago you did uh, do this, this. These are the people that you just keep in score on, and you know you keep in score because at some point you get to the place where you say, hey, you got one more time. Anybody ever got to that point with somebody? Hey, hey they, got, they got one more time to say something crazy to me. They got one more time to say something. Peter was like that. Peter, y'all remember when Peter was asking Jesus about how many times he had to forgive people? Do y'all remember? I, I love Jesus. Like, how many times does one have to forgive? The best part about that was Peter had a number in mind. Peter was like, how many? Seven? I was thinking seven. You know what you think about the number seven? I think you got to ask yourself, why did he come up with the number seven? Because he had somebody that got on his nerves six times, and he was like, you got one more time. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go make sure. Jesus, how many times do you think? Because I'm thinking seven. I'm thinking seven is a good number. Right? Who are you keeping account on? Who are you keeping a record on? Who are you? Instead of walking in forgiveness and forgetfulness, and I know forgetfulness is a supernatural uh, quality, but as you practice forgiveness, you'll begin to walk in forgetfulness. Who are you? Who are you still holding a grudge to? True worshipers. They, don't, they, don't, they, they just don't raise a hallelujah. They raise their patience. They raise their kindness. 
they, they lose the record of, of wrong. They don't raise records. Watch this. Um, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. I like that one. It's not the idea. This is an interesting word, too. It's not that um, it does not delight in evil. It's not like, well, I don't get excited about doing evil. No, 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 no. It's not that at all. It, it's, it's better translated the idea. It does not delight in evil. Love, love does not delight in the evil things that happen to evil people. So it's that thing inside all of us in our flesh and our human nature. When something bad happens to someone and we think they're bad, that little exhale that we have, that little I told you so, that little "Uh uh-huh, I knew it, that little exhale that actually rejoices in the evil that happens in somebody else's life. Oh, I'm the only one? I'm the the only petty person? So I just brought petty from California on my own. Ain't no petty petty people in North Carolina, huh? Y'all all all good. God says, you don't rejoice in evil wherever it rears its ugly head. So you, you, you know that thing. God, I'm, I'm going to dig in a little bit because y'all didn't, I didn't get no amens at all. So I'm going to dig in a little here. You, you know, y'all remember when, y'all remember when, um, when Trump got COVID? And those of y'all that don't like Trump, you was like, yes. It's like, yes, he got it. And, and when he had to take that walk and go to the hospital, he was like, uh-huh, he in the hospital. Let's see how he going to do now. Let's see if he want to take Clorox now. Let's see if he want to take some bleach now. Is it? See, some of you now, you're just so sensitive, you can't even laugh. You just, oh, I, don't, I don't like this. Relax. That little exhale you took when something bad happened to him? We don't rejoice in evil wherever it rears its ugly head. And then he came back with all that medicine, all the pills, and stood, stood on the balcony of the White House. It was like, I survived. And you were like, oh, dad nabbit. <laughs> Or some of you in Biden, remember when Afghanistan, when they were trying to exit Afghanistan and those people were hanging on the planes and it was the most public debacle of an exiting a war ever? I mean, it was just terrible. And as terrible as that scene was, some of you were like, yes, this is the kind of failure I was hoping for for Biden. Did you think I was just going to talk about Trump and not talk about Biden? Did you think I was just going to do it one-sided? Look at the Holy Spirit convicted a whole, more than half of the room, I think. More than half. More than half. That's not love. That's not worship. That's not godly. We don't rejoice in evil wherever it rears its ugly head. We don't give Satan any glory or admonishment in wherever it rears its ugly head. We don't rejoice in evil. We don't delight in evil, but we rejoice in the truth. We rejoice in the truth. Listen to this. Love, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will cease. So he goes through this thing, and then he gets to this passage, the part of the passage. It almost feels like he goes off script. It almost feels like he goes off the subject. It's almost like he changes the subject. He goes into this part where he says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I reasoned as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. And we're so used to hearing that verse, but not in the context of love, 
that it almost comes out of nowhere. But really what he's saying is, hey, y'all, what love does ultimately, love grows up. Love grows up. There's a season when my patience look like a childish patience, but now my patience needs to look like an adult. My patience needs to grow up. My kindness needs to grow up. My, 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 my humility and my forgiveness needs to grow up. Inevitably, my worship needs to grow up. And when love grows up, it looks like Jesus. When love grows up, it looks like Jesus. What does Jesus look like? I go to the scene with the woman caught in adultery, and you got the people over there with the stones in their hand, and you got Jesus with the dirt in his hand. Now, I don't know why he wore in the dirt, but I can imagine it was probably reminiscent to the reality that we were all created from dirt. From dust we come and from dust we shall return. So he put his hand in our humanity and our flaws. Then he stands and he says, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. And they drop the stones. They drop the stones. When love grows up, it looks like Jesus. That means we need to drop our stones. Sometimes I think we look like the, the stone people in the story instead of looking like Jesus in the story. And the most dangerous thing about us and our stones is we try to throw them in Jesus' name. And they will know we are Christians by the stones we throw. No, by our love that grows. Ooh, that rhyme. Did y'all see that? Did y'all do that? Hey, I ain't even playing that. The Holy Spirit just, whoop, just did that right before my very eyes. Now, that's worship right there. That's worship. I, I guess I want to leave you with this. Your worship is marked by his love. And his love inside of you, it grows. It stretches you. It pulls you. And it makes you look more and more like Jesus in areas where you'll be tempted to look like yourself. Zoe, my 16-year-old, um, when she was a little kid, the worst thing you could say to Zoe, um, people used to come to her all the time at the church and say, uh, you look just like your daddy. And she'd be like, my dad's a dude with a beard. I don't look anything like my dad. But the girl couldn't help it. She was born, looked just like me. Turned two, looked even more like me. At four, got glasses, OMG, SMH. She looked even more like me. Now that homegirl's 16, I didn't know I could be that fine as a 16-year-old girl. I'm telling you, I look fabulous. Girl can't help it. Because you know what's happening to her? Every year, she looks more like her father. That's what love does. Love grows up. And when your worship, marked by his love, grows up every day, you look more like your father. You love more like your father. You worship more like your father. So Father, may our worship be both vertical and horizontal. May our worship be marked by your love. And may your love grow up inside of us so that every day we look more like our Heavenly Father for your glory. Amen.